Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Coaching for Profit. I'm Brandon Moore, your host, and I'm really excited about today. We've got a, a great interview scheduled. Team Chip leader, Chip Townsend, the man himself, 14-time world champion uh, with, I think, seven world records. Chip is a business owner. He's got schools in Texas and Oklahoma. He's an author and co-author of two books. I remember the Team Chip Method. What's the other book's name? Breakthrough Leadership is, is yeah. So, and I, you, you said you were excited. I'm excited that someone is excited to have me in their presence. So that just makes, it's like a, it's like a circle of excitement happening right here that I can't stop. <laughs> and we're doing this virtually because in, in, in person, t- uh, Chip is, uh, like seven foot tall and, uh, makes anybody next, sitting next to him feel like a dwarf. I'm six foot tall. I'm a big guy. Most of the people around me are small, but then I, f- I feel them. I feel what they feel every day when I'm around Chip. So tell me a, bit, a little bit about your family. What's going on? Uh, tell me about Glen Ann and how long you've been married and how many kids. Family is beyond amazing, Brandon. Uh, so Glen Ann and I, uh, just a quick backside, we started dating in high school. Had a little split apart time for a short period and then got back together Dated for you know a couple of years, got married young, nineteen for me, twenty one for her. She came after me, the older lady, by the way. I'm just saying. And then <laughs> if she was in here, she'd be punching me right now. But uh, so December, <laughs> she's actually over in the other room. She can probably hear me. She's like, oh, more killing. So December this year, 2021, will be 30 years we've been married. So uh, yeah, we we dated for you know a year and a half, two years, and. Kind of fell in love, and she is just she's beautiful, she's strong, she's a three time world champion herself, an amazing martial artist. But that's kind of the, the backside of that. We have three beautiful kids, we got married, we waited eight years, and had our oldest daughter who is now 22. She just got married in December uh, 2020, and then in May of 2021, uh, she that's right, man, my time she graduated from college as well, so she, she got her degree in digital marketing. and she works for us in our business as, as kind of we're slowly working her into being our kind of marketing leader uh, with our social media and just all of our marketing development. But she is uh, uh, she's also a chief instructor for us. She's, she grew up on the mat. And then I have uh, eight years after she came, we had our next daughter who is, uh, who is 14. And then we have an 18 months later, a 12-year-old now son. So we have three, 22, eight, uh, 14, and, and 12. The purpose for the coaching for profit and the reason that we do this is we want to really, you know, help small businesses and, and business owners. You know, we can talk about martial arts forever. I've been in martial arts since I was 15, um, off and on, and then, you know, just love it and enjoy the community, enjoy the practice and the mental and physical training. But this is really, this podcast is about the business side and, and often business owners feel um, alone. When, with, especially if they're starting out, starting a new business, or they maybe purchased into a business, tell me about when you purchased the business. I guess there were thirty-five students at that time. Fifty-five, yeah. Fifty-five, yeah. We had fifty-five, and I, I was, I was told by my my instructor we had seventy-five. <laughs> so you kind of come in with an expectation and realize the reality is like a little. Church with the, uh, the membership roll. Until <laughs> <Right>. you die. <laughs> Right. So, so, uh, some of those were inactives at the time and we didn't know. So, 
Yeah, so whenever we took over the school, we were, I tell people all the time, we were young, dumb, <laughs> you know, and, and really the, probably the correct word is not dumb as much as ignorant. You know, ignorant just means we just didn't know. We didn't know, we didn't know, and uh, but we were passionate. We were hungry, and it was a dream. Kind of the quick backside to that was my dream had been a kind of military, like I wanted to join the Marines and be like a Marine Recon or a Navy SEAL. I, you know, I don't know. I just always knew I want to be the best of the best of whatever I do, right? And kind of driven type A or the disc, I'm a, I'm a dominant personality, so I, I got this goal about me, right? And uh, so we bought the school, but I tell people, you know, we were, for, for lack of better words, kind of young and just ignorant of how to run a business or do anything. And it was like, we didn't have an exit plan. And so the words fail and the thought process of failure, I don't think it really ever crossed our mind. It was just like, okay, we've got this. Now what are we going to do with it? And we, you sit down and you buckle down and get to work. And as far as feeling alone, oh my gosh, Brandon, I, I, I just have such vivid memories. My instructor, an older Korean man, sweetheart, lovely guy, but dude, he gave me some great advice on a few occasions and he gave me tons of really bad advice. And so like... <laughs> Every day for a while, I'm calling him like, oh, this happened. What do I do? He would tell me, and then I would get off the phone sometimes and think, oh, my gosh. That, I, I don't really think that's a good idea. And so so anyway, when you say alone, I, like you, am hyper-passionate about that, and we've developed an affiliate program to affiliate with small schools and schools to help kind of coach them and guide them some. But that's beside the point, and that's for that reason. Uh, I'm super passionate about martial arts, like you said, and I feel like it's it is just such, it's a way to connect and create a common ground between age, race, gender, everything, and truly impact in such a positive way, physically, spiritually, and mentally, in all these areas, anybody that comes along. And if at a business level, if I can help other people go into communities and do that, we're impacting those communities in such a positive way, and also impacting that small family and eventually multiple families that create livings out of that. So we're we're hyper passionate about that business piece. But in the beginning, you said alone. That's part of the reason we're developing this affiliate program because I vividly remember feeling like, oh my gosh, who do I talk to? Where do I go? What do I do? I'm scared. And I did not know there was a chamber of commerce and there was possibly a little, you know, business mastermind groups in your town. I just didn't know any of that. I was just a stupid, you know, dumb kid. So yeah, and there's there's a lot of new businesses that start, especially in industries. You know, you go into industries that you hope aren't very competitive because you see a need. And we'll talk about your competitive advantage later. But what was, what was your biggest struggle that you know you had early on? What was the, the the biggest thing that you had to learn to overcome early? I think that sometimes, and I was guilty of this, and this is why I say, kind of generally speaking, I think sometimes we have a technical skill. Uh, and my technical skill for me was, you know, on the mat as a martial artist. And, and I was passionate about that idea of passing that along. You kind of get to a point where you're training, but you're like, you show someone something, you see the eyes light up and the bulb go off and you kind of go, and that felt good to help them to grow. And so, uh, anyway, my point is, is I had this technical skill, but I had no idea how to run a business. And I encourage early business owners and young, when I say young, not age young, but just young and business people to read the book, uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. I think it's an exceptionally powerful book because he really does a good job to me and kind of helping you to understand the dichotomy. Now you have this talent on this mat or running a lathe or welding or whatever that is, 
but someone's got to run a business, get that assumed name and, you know, rent the property and pay the utilities and get the taxes covered and understand those legal things. So the biggest challenge was running the business. and, and, And I would say second to that was I was sitting at the phone going, how do I get that thing to ring? How can I get people in the door? Right. I think we, sorry, I think we hang our shingle and sometimes just expect it to happen. And we forget there's a lot of work that goes into the business. So, sorry. No, that's right. That's exactly right. And I, I recommended that book just, just last week. Um, I, I have, I bought six copies and I've given away four already. I know as a, as a business owner, I had to become better at managing people, leading people, uh, creating processes, creating workflow, learning marketing, learning advertising, what the difference is. And so you, you learned that marketing part. You know, you didn't just you know expect the phone to ring. What did you do to overcome that void where you had capacity and you wanted to fill it? So a young student one time, he was probably, and I say young, at when I went over, we took over our school, I was 23. So I was, I was a kid. And he was probably like 19 at the time. And he walks in my office one day and he was a sweet kid. He's, he, he got Guillain-Barre later and had some real major medical issues. He was a bodybuilder. His kid was a rock and solid, but he passed away. But anyway, he, uh, he brought me a book and laid it on my desk one day. And he said, hey, I think you need to read this. And it was a Tony Robbins book, Anthony Robbins. And it was Awaken the Giant Within. And I remember when he set the book, so I'm kind of getting to a point here. How did I overcome those voids? One of the voids I had, you know, our learning process is the first thing is unconscious incompetence. I don't know what I don't know. And he lays his book on my desk and I look at it and I read the little description on it. And he walks out and I'm like, hey, thanks for the book. And I look at it and inside I got mad. I was like, who the heck is this kid to come in here and put this book on my desk and tell me I need to better myself, right? That's kind of the way I took it. And so as I sat at my desk, twiddling my thumbs, going, literally some days looking at my phone, just thinking, okay, how can it ring? Come on, ring. I, want, I need somebody to talk to you to get in here, right? And I picked the book up and I start thumbing through it, and it just sucked me in. I couldn't believe it. And I'd never been a big reader. But anyway, so I'm, I'm reading this book, and that book became kind of a pivot point for me in my life in that I realized that I needed to grow. I needed to learn. And one of the things I had to do was uh, kind of get out of my own way, for lack of a better word, sometimes. But how did I fill the voids? I began to open my eyes and realize the world was bigger than I thought and start looking for mentors and people that were ahead of me in the game and asking them. I have vivid memories of calling uh, uh, Hanshi Dave Kovar. He's a good friend of mine out of California that is a mentor to me and has been for years now. I called him one day. I did not know him. I just read some of his articles that he was putting out in a magazine. And I said, can I come to your school and just hang out for a day and and talk to you and see what you do? And he goes, absolutely. (laughs) I bought a plane ticket and I flew out there and spent a day with him. And uh, it was just a huge point. So the book, the start of the answer to the question was, how did I fill the voids? The book helped me to realize I didn't know what I didn't know and realize how much well, I don't know if I knew how much, but I still don't know how much I need to know because there's just so much. Every day I feel dumber and dumber than I did the day before. But I realized there was so much for me to learn. And I realized it was okay to put my ego aside and get out of my own way and ask for help because I'm a horrible ask for help guy. I remember making that first phone call to to Hanshi Dave and, and Kovar and saying, 
can I just come hang out with you? And he said, oh my gosh, absolutely. Come on, let's do it. And I went out and spent some time with him. That was a big pivot and a big change. I began to just be a sponge for information, reading, studying, journals, anything I could get my hands on, business, martial arts, anything to grow myself. And uh, so that's kind of where that process started. And then it was, gosh, like you said, there are all these components from marketing and systems. But I did want to throw this out there real quick, Mr. Brandon, is many times early in our business, I, and I know this I would, this was bad for us, it's super personality driven. I'm the guy, I'm running the mat, I'm running the office, and everybody gets to know you, your personality, and that's what they kind of almost come for because you're passionate and you're kind of magnetic with your personality because you love what you do so much. And then one day you realize you've outgrown your ability to manage that. And you look around and go, I have no systems to make things duplicatable. I don't have a team that understands this culture well. And so anyway, it's it's an interesting process, bro. It is. When any business owner starts out like that, I mean, you only have 2,000 working hours a year if you're just a regular person. 3,000 if you're unregular. <laughs> Unusual. Yeah, you just you have to build processes and systems and, and and then what are you really selling? Are you selling you or are you selling the Chip Townsend way of doing things? The the you know, team chip uh used to be Taekwondo centers and now is team chip martial arts centers, which I want to talk about that change and that shift. But you know, are you you're not just you're not selling Team Chip is going to be on the mat with you. You're you're selling. This is we are about excellence. We're about being teachable. We're about producing leaders. We're about uh, self improvement daily. You know the your your worst enemy is is you and laziness and and idleness and that's that's the kind of you know excellence and thing that you're driving. How do you market that? How do you get your people on board to realize that it's not about you, just you? Well. I stay off the mat more now than I ever have, but that's one of my most passionate places to be. So it's taken a lot of self-control on my part. It's hard because I love, and you, you walk past a class and you see a little hole here and there and you want to jump in and fill it. But what I found was when I did that, it so took away from the credibility of that young person who was really 90% doing a fantastic job. And then it caused the audience of parents in their kind of in their mind to kind of question that person's ability to teach their kids. So it's been a really intricate, long process, but we systemized and we've created the ability to duplicate. We developed a leadership team. So we went from just teaching students to now let's separate out a leadership development program and separate these guys and teach them how to duplicate that culture, help to immerse them in that culture a little deeper at a leadership level. So when they're on the mat, they aren't me, but they're they're passing those, uh, how do you say, principles and characters in a way that fit, those values in a way that fit really well. We've gotten very heavy into our leadership, team development, instructor development so that they can do that. And I've gotten off the mat more, so it's not about me. But another thing you mentioned earlier that I think is super important is we have like core values that we never deviate from. For me personally, and I think it's important to say this, and I hope it's okay to say this, but I have an order of priorities, and number one is is God, and number two confuses people, it's me, number three is my wife, 
Number four is my kids. And then our team, our bit, you know, kind of expands out like layers to an onion in a way. I try very hard on a personal and a business level to make all of my decisions by filtering it through that order of priorities. If I do this, how's it going to reflect on God? How's it going to reflect on me and impact me and my ability to serve my wife? And then how's it going to reflect on my wife, family? I think that sometimes in our society, the word pride has become a dirty word in ways like, oh, you have pride. You can't be prideful. I, I, I think a, a, sm a certain amount of pride is super healthy because that little bit of pride means that I care how hard I, how well I sweep that floor or how well I do something, right? So we developed a set of kind of core values and the, and Team Chip, which is our business name, which was an, a, another funny story. It was an accident, but it's an acronym. When we preach this constantly on the mat to our students, to our leadership team, we have them memorize it. We have them recite it at times. We do mat chats around it. But number one is I'm teachable. I'm excellent. I'm accountable. I'm motivated. I'm always courteous. I'm honest. I'm, I become the inspiration and I persevere. So, and by propagating that, staying focused on that, filtering all of our decisions with our team and our students through that, it helps to propagate that culture and make it more duplicatable, I believe. Absolutely. You know, as a business owner, you know, I've tried a lot of things and failed, failed miserably and learned from those. What what failure taught you the most about yourself and, and helped you gain the most? You know, going, you know, moving from the small single school to where you are right now, which, you know, let me take this moment for our audience. Uh, uh, team uh, Chip Townsend is the owner of uh, Team Chip Martial Arts Centers. They have school. Their original school is in Abilene, Texas. They have schools in San Angelo. They have schools uh, affiliations in San Antonio. Two schools in Oklahoma. One affiliation in Mississippi and Sweetwater. Is that right? It is, and and I want to clarify because you and I haven't we haven't talked in a while because of COVID. We we lost a couple of our affiliate locations uh, mm -hmm. that they they ended up having to shut down. So I do want to qualify that with our headquarter location in Abilene actually grew by 36% in 2020, which was the year COVID hit us. And, and I attribute that to our team. We just had an amazing team who buckled down. We, we did all kinds of creative things and hyper cleaning and sanitizing and all those things that everybody was working hard to do. And at most of our locations, we contracted in Abilene. We grew a little bit. And it was a, an absolute blessing, but we did lose uh, two of our affiliate locations over that uh, over COVID, and they just got to a point where, with their in their areas, mask mandates and the different things that were happening, uh, and being forced to shut down with city ordinances and different things that were smaller than the state level or national level a little bit, uh, they ended up having to shut down their locations on a spiritual level. I believe that that was a pruning that was happening. Okay. And we came out of this leaner and stronger than we have ever been. And so we never really looked at, I don't want to get sidetracked with COVID, but we never looked at COVID as a, this is going to shut us down in a panic. It scared us like everybody else. It made us concerned. We worried. We worried for our health, our students, our students. Health. There are all those things going on, but we never once thought this is a shutdown. For us, we sat down and we prayed about it. We thought about it. We said, okay, God, what are we doing here? Can we lean out? How do we come out of this better? And I believe we've absolutely done it. So, but anyway, to clarify, we have uh, 
Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, but we did lose a couple of our affiliates. So again, I want to be transparent because I don't want to, yeah, sorry. I just, I want to be transparent. I don't want to, people to get the idea that it's all been a bowl of cherries because there have been a lot of struggle going on. Right. There have been. And that's to be expected, you know, and, and unfortunate, but sometimes that's, you see it on the backside as a blessing, but you don't know it going through it. Yes, sir. You, you asked, you asked a question and I don't want to get away from it. You said, uh, what's one of my biggest learning experiences from, from failures. We had a small business many, many years ago uh, when I first got married. Well, so we first got married, Glenn and I, we had a small business. I was, uh, I got a job. I had a small business doing window tinting and pinstriping security systems just on a little side street here in Abilene. And, uh, it was a long story. I partnered with a, a friend. My friend never showed up. I, through force, had to learn how to do what he was doing because he was doing most of the work. And I was helping kind of run the business as a silly kid, not knowing what we were doing. And he would not show up, oversleep, you know, have have, have his drunk parties. And, and I would end up with someone's car, somebody needing their windows tinted. So I learned real fast how to take care of that. And it grew into a little business that booted him out. We moved on and kept it going for a year or two there. And uh, that little business, man, I learned a lot and we ended up shutting it down. It was an election year. I don't remember way back 90s. Uh, and I just remember that people coming to me and going, my business just started dropping off, phone calls dropping off, election time is coming. And I remember a lot of the more mature people that I did know saying, hey, Chip, that's just the normal flow of business. But what I learned is I didn't have a pad set aside. I didn't have, you know, a rainy day fund. We weren't prepared. And whenever we started slowing down, I panicked. Oh gosh, I don't know what to do. And I closed it. And I went to work and I sold cars for three years and then began to do tending again on the side. So I would work my, you know, however many 50, 60 hours plus a week selling. And then I would tent windows at night in the garage. And that's how we saved money to buy our school. Uh, and, and kept Glen Ann in school because she actually went to school and she's a registered nurse. And then later I went and finished a business degree, but the, the lesson was have a pad, have a rainy day fund, you know, be prepared, you know, be prepared for those unexpected things. And the reason I brought up election was not because elections are bad. It's just, there's a tendency for people to kind of tighten up and not spend for a little bit around election times because they're nervous about what's going to happen and the direction of the economy and life. And, and I get it. I understand it now, but then I didn't and it shut us down. So. Yeah, and side businesses with uh, partners that don't share your values. We had a partnership with some friends and for a little while and, and then quickly shut that down. Uh, tried partnering with uh, family and realized it brought contention sometimes. And so we're a little bit hesitant to have partners. And that's what we learned about, about that. It's not that we can't have partners, but I like uh, the prenups on uh, for partnerships. They're called partnerships. Yeah, lay lay down those expectations and foundations early on. Yeah, that's you made a comment about family. Uh, I have this kind of thing where I watched my some of my mom's family literally not speak for like twenty years over a few dollars, you know, and kind of you know silly stuff. But the point is, is Glenn Ann and I earlier in our marriage, I just said, babe, if our family ever comes to us and asks us for anything. And if we have it to give and we give that to them, we are going to give it to them. We're not going to loan it to them. And I'll always ask you and you and I'll be on the same page first, but we'll never expect it back because I don't ever want to have problems with my family and I don't ever want them to feel uncomfortable around us if we help them. And so it's kind of like that business partnership thing. It can be tough with family and close friends, really tough. So 
it's good to have that uh, prenup, like you said. Absolutely. Let's uh, move in. We've, we've, we've grown now 20 years or 30 years. How many years have you been operating? 1995 is when we bought the school, uh, and so 95 until now, so about 26 years, 26 years, I think is what we just passed. So you, what, are your, what were your job duties then versus what your job duties are now? We talked about that a little bit, how you're not on the mat anymore, but what, are your, what is your day like? What was your day like then versus what it is now? My day then was uh, I slept a little later because we had way less classes to teach and way less students to teach. But I wore way more hats in ways because I was the maintenance man. I was the greeter at the front door. I was the program director or the salesperson who answered the phone and handled the phone calls and scheduled the trials. I class planned. I was responsible for the curriculum. I was responsible for delivery of all of that on the mats. I was the marriage counselor. For the young married couples who were struggling and popped in my office for help, I was the parent counselor for the kid who was getting in trouble at school. And and even in the early marriage, for that eight years that we didn't have kids, you know, for a lot of that, I was just parent counseling off of what I experienced with my family and what I thought was right, you know. And uh, so at that time, now I am hyper blessed to be able to set my schedule a little more. But keep in mind, it's 26 years later. I think sometimes young people jump into business thinking, oh, this will be great. I'll just set my schedule. Your schedule will own you for a while until you get your legs under you and get a clientele and a, a book of business built, etc. So now I get up at 4.30 out of choice and I go work out. I come home and I have a dedicated read time. Uh, I read from the Bible. I have a couple of daily readers and I uh, constantly have two to three books going, spend a little bit of time praying, uh, and I try. I don't think a prayer is like a ritual thing. I think it's a, it's a conversation. And I might shut this computer whenever we get off and just close my eyes for 30 seconds and, and have a thought and go, you know, God, I need help with this, or I'm thankful for that, or whatever. You know, so so I, for me, I try to make that an ongoing conversation every day. If I look, and this is one, this is a nugget, I think, uh, if I go, hey, if Brandon, if you said something to me and said, man, my, my wife is sick or just whatever, and I said, made the comment, yeah, oh man, we'll be thinking about, we'll pray for you. I literally hang up that call or whatever that is, and I take five, 10 seconds and I go, God, walk with that family. And I just walk away. I prayed for you. And he knows. He's there. He already knew. He, it was done when I said I would do it. But does that make sense? So, so anyway, I have that morning time, I work out, I come home, I, uh, I come to the house usually and I read, I study a little bit, and then we, sometimes we rest, sometimes I do meetings, things like this, and uh, and uh, then we head back in for a staff meeting uh, three days a week at 10, and then so, but but my duties are more planning and prepping the staff meeting, ready to reshare the vision, keep people on track with those core values, the, you know, the teachable excellence accountable uh, how does all that go together? I'm going through the PNL. I never knew what a PNL was for the first five or ten years of our business. Probably now I'm combing. I have a super refined PNL for each location. I comb those numbers monthly, so I'm in a different place. And then I'm projecting out of those numbers what do we think we can do next month and how can we improve. Then I'm trying to find a way to get my leaders who are on the map more connected to that PNL and get them to feel a sense of urgency to help develop it. Because it develops their life. It's what pays their bills, right? So I'm in a, in, a, in a way different place. I still counsel kids, parents, and whoever when they need it. I still jump on and off the mat and teach some. 
but way less. The job duties have changed tremendously. Now I feel like I'm visioning how much bigger will God allow us to make this impact and how, what do we do with that? And I'm out constantly asking him, please let me do this in a way that glorifies you, that, that does it the way you want it done. So I'm, I'm hearing from you that you, you spend more time in, in, instead of training students, you train your leaders. Spend time with them and developing them. Uh, what things do you do to inspire, to motivate, to help them connect to the business and, and how that connects with their personal growth? Absolutely. I have a rule, kind of an unwritten rule. I never leave a meeting without asking every single team member in that meeting. I make eye contact with them. And sometimes it's through Zoom, <laughs> but uh, because I we do Zoom in our other locations and, and I just ask them. I look at them and I, I say their name, Brandon, you know, what, what do you need from me today? What can I do for you? And 95% of the time they go, I'm good. I don't need anything. And I go, okay, just, I'm here. Let me know what you need. Uh, I try very hard to model a servant uh, posture. I try to be exceptionally graceful with our team. We have recently developed a little profit share bonus program for our top leaders. Uh, and that's one of the ways I'm a firm, I'm a big believer in entrepreneurship and self-employment. I'm, I'm not a fan of salaries, although we do pay some salaries. I'm not a fan of hourly wages, although we pay some hourly wages, but I'm trying to connect some bonus structures to those things that gets kind of their skin in the game. And so then monthly as we have those little P&L reviews and I sit down with them and look over their locations numbers we call it connecting the mat to the office. We have little conversations about, you know, we had this many phone calls. We had this many trials, which means our person on the phone did a great job or however they communicated, did a great job of getting them in. But we really didn't have enough signups out of that, which means maybe there's a hole in the trial process on the mat and helping them to see that what they do on that mat directly impacts that office because that office is what cuts the check back to them. And so all, and it's, it's a constant process of talks and communication, little bonus structures. The other day we've been setting, we've been blazing and setting records this year. Uh, it's just been amazing. And so, uh, a while back we had a stretch goal early in the year of getting our active count in Abilene to 350 students. And, and about midway through spring, we were past 350 and we thought it was going to be maybe the end of next year before we would hit it based on our normal growth. But our growth has been, has been bigger than normal. I sat down with the team one day and I just said, look, I am so, and they're excited because we're sharing those numbers with them in an instructor meeting. And we're like, you guys are making this happen. Right? So I said, here's what I'll do. We're actually getting close to 400. If you guys click 400 before the end of the year, I'll take all of you guys to iFly. It's an indoor skydiving place in Dallas and we'll go have a day together and just have fun. And so yesterday we spent a chunk of money buying iFly time because we've surpassed 400. And yeah, so for the young guys, I think that when I say young, we have some staff that are like, you know, high school aged. And, and so uh, for them getting those opportunities to go have fun with the team they love, you know, they're not as worried about their pay, although they, they, they like that because they live in a home. They, most kids have a home and have everything kind of there for them. And so, but then for the more mature older guys, it may not be quite as much the iFly as it is that profit share or that bonus structure that we're trying to develop to help them to feel like every time they improve and grow, the school improves, they get rewarded for that. 
how do you see the the development of, of a student to say this person could would make uh, a great instructor, but then from the instructor, I think this person would be great at a, as a school owner or franchise owner. I don't know how you have it set up, but but where they they not only they they take the next step. What's the identification process? Do you have one? The honest truth is is we we kind of go by feel. I don't know if that's good or bad. I uh, at each belt testing belt promotion. We now, which you got to remember, these are those things we kind of are systemizing and have systemized to make it more duplicatable. We meet with our team and we go, look, who do you guys see that may be leaning, you know, strong at leadership or, you know, and so on the mat, when you see a yellow belt that's been there for two months that just has a bubbly, outgoing personality and they're just high-fiving their partners when their partners do good things, we do what we call seed planting. Uh, we go by and we say things like, man, you're going to be an amazing black belt one of these days. And we just can't wait to see you develop to that point. And, and so we're constantly planting seeds liberally and often, if that makes sense. And getting the team to see that and understand that the leadership team, they're always getting better at seed planting because we're, we're constantly trying to encourage it. But we like to think that some of our development of our leaders is intentional because it started with those seeds. And then we're constantly watching them. And then once they get to a certain belt level, which is for us is green belt, they get an invite to what we call our leadership team. And they do not have to accept it. And there's no feelings involved if they say, well, I can't do that. And no problem. You know, just keep training. You're doing great. But you have a lot of potential. And that's another seed. You've got great potential. Yesterday, I had one of my black belts, uh, speaking of this, who is uh, he's a, an MD. He's a medical doctor. He's young, uh, in his 30s. He works in emergency rooms typically. I mean, drives amazing cars, but has a great little family. And a while back, he's really wanting to be a leader on the mat and help and uh, invited him. I said, you know, hey, love to have you on the leadership team. The commitment's not too bad. You got to come in on Saturdays and you can miss some, but, you know, and do some leadership training with us. And, and he came to me yesterday and it's been a few weeks and he said, man, I've been struggling with this because I want so bad to help teach and be a part of that. He said, but I just can't commit. So here was my answer to him. I said, I appreciate your honest answer. And I don't ever want you to feel any stress coming into my my business. I want this to be your outlet. And I want this to be your place to come to kind of be challenged, to grow, to get your stress off. And if you can step into that leadership and want to, always know that door is open for you. But don't ever let this be a place of stress for you. So back to how do we see when they're ready. Uh, I'll tell you straight up right now, as far as who's ready to go out and run a school in a location, I'm still trying to figure that out. I really am. It's like, I don't have an answer. And I, I will also say this. I think sometimes we pre-qualify people too much and I will look at someone and I'll think, good Lord, took that kid six months to learn that movement right there. And it's not that I don't like the kid. It's just like in your mind, you're kind of going, I don't know if they'll ever be able to. Some of those kids, and when I say kids, even adults have become a best leaders because they paid the price of the struggle, if that makes sense. And you look at the kid next to him who's a sponge. You show them something one or two times and they're just ripping it out. And many times they are not the best leaders because everything kind of flows for them. It's a little, I don't say easy, you know, but they pick it up and move. So the honest truth is I was hoping today on this interview, you could give me the answers to those questions. How do I pick my next leaders? <laughs> it, it is a challenge every day.
just like the selection of David in the Bible, you know, we look on the outside so many times, and Jim Collins brings it out in his book, Book Grade, the level five leader. You know, they're not going to be necessarily one that everybody else chooses. It's not going to be somebody, but they're consistent, they're humble, they but they have ambition, but it's not necessarily selfish ambition. It's personal ambition and ambition for the organization. And th- those are hard traits to find because they're not always extrovert. They're not always the absolutely, uh, absolutely. When you when you said that real quick, uh, it made me think of Patrick Lencioni as well. He's got some great books on like meetings and how to handle and develop your meetings, etc. Really, really good guy. Yeah, and uh, he has a he has a, a I think it was him. It says humble, hungry, and smart is are, are kind of three things. Humble, you know, they they carry themselves well. They've got great humility. They're hungry. They're passionate. They want to grow. And smart doesn't mean like intellectually smart, but they have a willingness to grow and they desire that growth, you know, uh, because I think sometimes the word smart can be a little like, oh, you think somebody has to be smart? Not really. I've seen some really not smart, smart people, you know, I mean, not smart enough to pour, you know, pee pee out of a boot and get in and out of the rain, but yet they're really smart, right? So smart being just willing and hungry to grow and receive feedback and things like that. So those are kind of the things we look for. If you correct someone and they get defensive, you know, that's that's a kind of a flag, you know. But if you correct someone and they're like, oh man, thanks. I, I didn't realize I was doing that. You go, okay, this is someone who's willing to grow. They're they're smart, you know, they wanna they want to move forward. So in your business and your in your growth in the twenty six years that you've been was there a point, a, a turning point, a change where there you were struggling, 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 but then some and and good to great, great by choice, and uh, built to last. They all talk about this flywheel being pushed and momentum building. You can't really say that this was a point, but you can kind of track back and say this is what led up to that momentum. Was there something like that for you guys? Absolutely. It was February 2020. February 2020, about a month before the pandemic hit, we made a staff change at our headquarter location. That was, um, and if that you know person ever hears this, I love them, and I would still do just about anything for them. One of the most dedicated, hardest working employees we'd probably ever had. But I don't know if you're familiar with the Peter principle. You you move someone up and up and up, they eventually kind of peter out, and that they they get to a position that surpasses their capacities and abilities. And I kind of think that's what happened. And our hearts controlled our decisions for several years and we just could not, I didn't have another place to move that person to and I didn't have the heart to cut them loose because I didn't want to hurt them because of our long relationship, because of what they had been through in some other areas in life. It was a real, really hard position. 2020, February, I finally pulled the trigger for lack of better words and said, I've got to make this cut. We made that cut. And we have, that is one of the biggest contributing factors to our 36% growth through COVID because we took a lid off of our business. And it was a, it was a lid that a, a person that we absolutely still till today adore and love, but just capped our business. And, uh, I hate saying that, but it's just kind of the truth. And, and after that happened, we, and the, the truth is, is going in, stepped into that position began to take the CRM that we had that was very functional, but not being used in a functional way 
and began to plug the automations and fill things in in that CRM so it could do its job. And we have just exponentially started rising. And that has created that flywheel momentum you're talking about at both of our locations, really, in a lot of ways, uh, and been phenomenal. And what's happened is, is we, we talked about making that happen for years, but it wasn't getting done, but we didn't have the heart to go, got to go so we can get it done. And, uh, now some of our staff kind of go, Ooh, they mean business. Number one, number two, they're seeing it being modeled. Look at what we plugged in, how we made, I'm kind of using the automations kind of stand out in my mind. Like these automations are starting to flow and look at the return that's becoming, happening because of that. And then they're going, oh gosh, we need to get our, you know, they're stepping in, right? So I think that would be kind of one of, one of those turning points, really big one recently that's really contributed to momentum. And people can do that. And, um, you know, sometimes when you let somebody go, people are like, why, why did you do this? Or what, you know, what led to that decision? And other people are like, what took you so long? You know, everybody could tell, but you as the leader sometimes are just, because of the feedback loop is broken sometimes as a leader. Do you, do you have that sometimes when you, you feel like that there is something that, that's underlying that, but your staff may not be, feel like they can contribute that information because the response that they're getting? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to veer that a little bit into you already alluded to that whenever you introduced me today. You said this guy is like seven foot tall and yeah. So I want you to think about what you said and how you framed me for the audience, which is fine. I laugh about it. I think it's funny, but that's how a lot of people perceive me. And so because of that, many, many times people are uncomfortable talking to me or giving me feedback or bringing information to me. They'll bring it to Glenn Ann because she doesn't have that kind of presence size wise. Uh, I, so for probably 10 to 15 years, I have been very conscious of my incompetence in my ability to slow down in the crowd because I'm very driven. I'm, I will just boom, walk right through the crowd. And I have intentionally slowed down tremendously in those areas, made more eye contact because I never, ever did not absolutely appreciate and love the people in the building. I just didn't always express it right. And so, uh, so when you say, has there been, yes, there has been holes in that feedback loop. Are there holes? There still are. And I intentionally work at it every day. That is part of the reason I close every meeting with eye contact with everyone and just ask them humbly, is there anything I can do for you? I'm here. What do you need? And every now and then someone goes, yeah, I need to talk to you. And I go, okay, cool. And, uh, I really work hard at, we call it the 24 hour rule. If someone does something that just really, for lack of better words, pisses me off. I, I know that emotion and logic are like oil and water. They don't mix. And so we will take that problem to the best of our ability, set it to the side and wait 24 hours. And 99% of the time you come back with a much better answer and much calmer. Like, okay, I, I, I've thought through that now and I have a much less explosive answer for you now. <laughs> so. It's something I've had to work on, and that's why I brought it up. That's it's, it's something I've struggled with for years. Is uh, I'm an intense person. I have an intense personality, strong uh, opinions, and staff in the past, even though I ask, is there anything that we can talk about, anything that's just because I ask doesn't mean they feel comfortable doing it. 
And so I've had to, you know, put systems and processes in place. Uh, I think, you know, your wife being a great system and process uh, to be a receptor, you know, letting people know. If you can't, if you don't feel comfortable talking to me, you know, Glenn Ann is there. She is always welcome. You know, you're always welcome to visit. And, you know, she'll, she'll stay, you'll, she'll tell me the problem and you can stay anonymous. And, you know, something like that. That would be a fantastic process for me. And for years, that's what it was. Angela, my wife would, you know, visit with me and, you know, you did this and that just made them so mad. It's like, but they didn't say anything. Yeah. And I didn't even realize I did it. <laughs> right. I've been so guilty of that so many times. You know, I just have a couple of memories of like, when I said walking through the crowd and slowing down, that was because we had some phone calls, you know, just through the years that like, you know, I'm really upset. Well, what happened? You know, what, a phone call to Glenn Ann or, or even our program director, whoever. And they'd be like, well, what happened? I was in the lobby and ship walked through and didn't even say hi to me. Like literally. And it's like, and so they would come to me and go, hey, you really pissed off so-and-so. And I'm like, holy cow, what did I do? They said, you walked through the lobby and didn't acknowledge them. And I'm like, and I realized too, and this is, I don't want this to sound bad. I am not personally a very needy person. Like everybody else, I need security to an extent and I need food and I need to be loved and I need to be wanted. But, but I, it's not, I could probably move to the mountains and just live and be happy, you know? And, uh, a lot of people, I think most people need a lot of reassurance and edification. And, and that was the le lesson for me. I, just because you don't need doesn't mean other people around you don't need. So that helped to force me to go, oh my gosh, I would never hurt these people. I freaking love these people and I'm proud they're here. What? So you know what I mean? So I really had to kind of step back and reflect and look at myself and go, okay, Mr. Intense, you got to slow down, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, for, for the up and coming business leaders that are listening to this podcast, you just, you know, the, the 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 kind of personality that's going to start a business is this kind of personality that that is intense that is driven that is focused and the problem with that you know it's a good strength but it's also a weakness and uh, you know we're dealing with people and the most important thing on this world on this planet is people and you you have to spend time you have to slow down and show your appreciation it's not enough to to say I appreciate you, you have to you have to show it. You have to, and compensation isn't enough. You have, you know, thank you cards, flowers, whatever you know that you can do. And, and of course, I our last meeting we talked about the five love languages, and I told my staff, I said, like, if you want to tell me what your top two are, I would love to. I would love to know because that will help me. It's something I have to work on. And you know, there's a five love languages of business. That's not they don't they don't call it love languages. They call it appreciation languages. That uh, the guy who wrote that uh, started, and I think that's a great thing to do for small businesses, um, just so that you know how how to appreciate and how someone receives appreciation from you. Hey, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, uh, Glenn Ann and I have gone through that the five love languages book a couple of times, and and. We started reading it right away. She looks at me. She goes, I know you're loving. I was like, what is it? She goes, physical contact. I was like, yeah, it is, I guess. So, and, and, and as I read that, I realized, God, cause I, I love that like high five and I love giving people hugs. I, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if it's the way I was raised or what, but, but the other day I, I walked up to somebody and, you know, and always appropriate, just kind of, just kind of gave them a little side hugs. Hey, it's good to see you today or something. And I kind of felt them kind of 
And I said, that's cool. I said, it's one of my love languages, just physical contact's kind of my thing. And they were like, and they were like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, it's, it's good, man. You know, uh, so yeah, I think that's really powerful. And if you can know what that is with your, you know, is it acts of service or, you know, what is it with your staff that helps you to communicate and better you can really serve them? Because here's the reality of it. The more responsibility you gain, the less freedom you have. And the higher you go in your hierarchy, which you, you know, we, we want to flatten those so people feel comfortable, but the more of a servant you need to become. Yeah. So we're getting to the end, and I, I haven't read all my, my questions, but I've got some uh, to, uh, speed questions. Last four or five questions. One, top three books that everyone in business should read. E-Myth, Michael Gerber, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell, The Bible. Uh, and I actually have a John Maxwell Leadership Bible that I really enjoy because uh, there are little nuggets all through it of how that biblical story was relates to leadership. And so I think those are really, really pretty powerful. And uh, Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey is huge as well. Favorite 80s hair band? Uh, I'm going to say, gosh, it's a toss-up between ACDC, Rat, and Metallica. <laughs> we'll, sit, we'll, we'll go with Rat because I listened to that a lot in the 80s. So. Rat, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. It's just I love them. I had, you know, I had a couple of the... The tapes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, you'd put the pencil in to rewind it when it came loose. <laughs> right. And for those of you listening that are under, you know, 30, uh, cassette tape, it had a little uh, magnetic thing that goes through it. You Look it up. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, how have you embarrassed your kids lately? Uh, let's see. I hug them constantly in public. I'll walk up and give them a big kiss on the forehead. I'll just do something goofy in the middle of a store while they're standing next to me. I don't know. I'll act out. You know, it, it's 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 actually kind of nonstop. So, but it, it is, man. It is, and uh, you know, I want them comfortable with that. So, yeah, I I, I can't think of a, a great example off the top of my head, but I'm constantly saying something goofy to them to make them go, Dad. <laughs> so, what have you failed at recently? I had a situation with a student the other day that I got exceptionally angry. And probably didn't handle that real well. It's kind of a long story, but middle 20s autistic person who has had some outbursts, very inappropriate outbursts in classes on multiple occasions. And I finally just kind of hit the end of my rope with it. Nothing physical, but just really squeezed the fire out of him and told him not to come back. I just, I didn't feel safe having him on the mat with a bunch of ladies, honestly. How was that? How was that a failure? Was that something that needed to be done or is that just? You feel like there's things that you could have done better. Yeah, I could have been more calm. I was I was pretty uncalm. And again, I, I you know I didn't get physical. I've I've not hurt anybody, but just just verbally, I was not uh, how do you say it? I didn't like cuss at him or anything. But I was just very very harsh. Like I'm done with you. And I feel like that was probably a failure. I, I I probably should have been more graceful and, you know, I, I'll qualify it with, I've had multiple sit down long conversations and walked him through a lot of stuff. And, but this is like his fourth or fifth, like meltdown or screaming out inappropriate stuff. Cause he gets frustrated in class with somebody or whatever. And I just said, man, I am done. And I, 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 I kind of personally feel like that was a failure on my part. I, but here's the problem that I have, Brandon. I, I, struggle if I feel like I can't touch somebody's heart and I feel like I didn't get to his heart in the right way and uh, that's the failure for me it's 
maybe it wasn't a failure. I don't know, but that's what I feel like. That was my most recent one. This happened uh, maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, and I'm still struggling with it. So let me let me reframe that for you. That uh, you you did a great job of protecting the other students in the classroom. It seems mm-hmm. like that that's what you're most concerned with is, is being able to protect them. So absolutely. Well, and I hate to say this, but I. He had a, a brother, very sweet, but also had kind of some a little bit of struggle. And I would get uncomfortable seeing him come into class because I knew he, a few times in the past, had kind of had these little outbursts and kind of come unglued a little bit. And I'm like, I just, I, I didn't like that feeling of not feeling like I could walk out of the gym and leave them. So it was a bit of a struggle. So yeah, I appreciate your perspective for sure. But for me, I feel like that was probably a, a, a failure on my part to not be a little more patient and graceful, but I don't know. I feel like I'd already done that a lot. Our failures are learning opportunities, and they they uh, help us the next time. And so that perspective, it's it's not really a failure. Uh, last question, and this is one that uh, I probably will start asking all of our guests: is uh, what charity do you support, and would you uh, would like other people to know about? So we support quite a few. Junior Achievement is one that uh, is nationwide, but locally we do some uh, do a, a consistent support with them, from serving on the board to financial support. Uh, another is some missions through our church that we consistently support. The next is we actually have a nonprofit called Kicks for Kids, which is local to Abilene primarily. Eventually, our vision is to grow it outside of Abilene, but we fully scholarship kids that are at the poverty level. Of, uh, poverty line or below in their finances, and uh, uh, we have a full 501c3 uh, nonprofit and a board, and it's very well ran and very professional. Uh, we we support that, and I would like more people to know about it because uh, we scholarship kids into martial arts, and and again, it's just around our teamship location, Abilene, right now. But uh, eventually, we'd like to grow that into other areas because I feel like martial arts is such a unique way to touch kids' lives. So. Do they have a website? Yes. Uh, org. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, Chip, I really appreciate you being here. Um, you know, this has been really a fantastic conversation. I think it's going to help people. I think it's going to help small businesses. The struggles that you've had and that I've had and that others have had, I think the big the big lie is that we're alone. That this is the Nobody else has ever experienced this, and that's a huge lie. Um, because it, you, know, you are not alone. Uh, there are other people who have faced what you're facing and that uh, are facing even bigger struggles because they're attempting bigger things. And, and that's the, the joy and the awesome part of the entrepreneur uh, journey. Again, thanks, Chip. Thanks for agreeing to do this. It's been awesome to have you here. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for doing it. I'm honored. And thank you for putting this out because people need this kind of stuff and we need a, an abundance of it, in my humble opinion. So honored and appreciate you thank you well that's uh that's the end of our episode this uh coaching for profit where we believe that uh, profit equals your potential minus any barriers or distractions uh we really appreciate you and if you listen to this uh give us a like give us a review we'd really appreciate that uh, eventually i'm going to have some books that are going to be available still working on getting uh, two or three finished but uh get you uh, those books if you give us that kind of review thank you Master Chip, we'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Sounds good, brother. Thank you.